Okay. So hello, everyone. Welcome to the November 2018 um, Exchange SA Chat on Navigating Postgrad Life. My name is Kyle Stapleton, and I'm the newly elected Director of Communications of the APTA Student Assembly Board of Directors. And I'm Julie McLean. I am the former DOC, um, and I'm kind of just introducing Kyle to this role. Um, I'm excited to have you guys here with us tonight. If you've never joined us for an exchange chat before, how it works. So there's going to be Facebook comments below where you guys can interact. Please introduce yourselves, what school you go to, what year you are, either PT or PTA student. There's also a conversation happening on Twitter. Use the hashtag ExchangeSA and follow along for all kinds of questions and comments. Yeah, so today um, we have the pleasure, the great pleasure of being joined by April Fajardo, uh, PTDPT. So April, I just want to thank you so much uh, for joining us tonight. Well, thank you so much, both Kyla and Jillian, for having me. It is such a pleasure to be here with the, both of, with the two of you. So thank you. And it really is our pleasure as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, for those audience members that may not know you uh, personally, um, can you give them kind of a, just an extended introduction or kind of any recent projects you're working on? Just, just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just backing up just a little bit. So um, I graduated um, from Southwest Baptist University in 2015, and I went straight into travel PT. So kind of an unorthodox route of of uh, starting your career, but that's the route that I chose. Um, and since then have been in various settings, uh, skilled nursing facilities, inpatient rehab, acute ICU um, in the past three years as a travel PT. Um, in addition to that, I'm also very involved with the Academy of Neuro PT. I started um, and served on the membership and public relations committee since my second year as a PT student and have remained involved for the past five years or so with uh, that, the same committee. Um, I'm also very active with what, a nonprofit organization called Move Together. I'm so very proud of. Um, if you haven't, this is my shameless plug for, uh, for you to go ahead and check it out. Um, <laughs> you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, and then, um, so just for fun, I've also done just traveling um, personally, leisurely, and I am also a conference junkie. So you'll see me probably at various, con various conferences, National Student Conclave, Next, or CSM. I love, I love them all. So <laughs> those totally, are kind of all of them. <laughs> you know, I totally agree there. You know, my first conference is at Next um, this past June, and it really was just like the best experience of my life. So that's kind of where I totally got hooked into the conference life. So totally agree with you there. Right? I know. Speaking of which, I love that conference because it's for both clinicians and students, but it's such a smaller conference mm -hmm. than, than CSM. CSM is a little bit overwhelming if it's your first. There are about like 16,000 people who show up and are eager to get involved and eager to learn, just eager to network. And it can be a little bit overwhelming if that's your first conference. So, yes, such, such, such a pleasure. Absolutely. Next is my first conference, and that's where I met April for the first time. So, Oh, Yes. You never know. So much love. Junkies, just it happens. So go to your first conference. Yeah. You can be one of us. Yeah. Once you go, I was like, you'll get hooked and you just keep coming back for more. <laughs> PT fame is real. It All right. is. Um. So April, I'm about to graduate in um, 32. Congratulations. Days. Not, not like you're down. counting. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so as I am approaching graduation, I'm kind of freaking out about what to do job wise. So. When you were at this point, how did you make a decision like what you were going to do after graduation? Well, I have to um, side with you there. The whole freaking out thing, I completely and wholeheartedly understand. I freaked out so much that I didn't even make a decision when I graduated. So um, I took my boards early. So at the time I was graduating in May, so I took my boards in April. I passed. Whew. And then... I, uh, May graduated and I literally had no plan and got there and my friends and my classmates are, you know, they're all like, oh, we've got our jobs lined up. They're not even taking their boards to July. They're like, so April, what, where are you working? I'm like, I don't know. I have even no <laughs> idea what state I was going to be in. I had a license for Texas because they allowed early practice um, for early testing. And, but I'm originally from California. I just, I really, I seriously had no idea. Um, but I was really fortunate that I had a mentor of mine, one of my professors at SBU, Dr. Beverly McNeil. She gave me the best advice that I need to hear at that exact moment in time. 
she told me, you know, April, the, the beauty of our profession is that you can go down one path and if it doesn't work out, then that's okay. You can go ahead and take a different path and go a different direction. None of this is permanent. And although I kind of knew those words, um, it didn't really like sink in until someone verbalized them to me. I felt like when I had graduated, the path that I was going on was the exact path that I needed to know. And I was going to stick with that path for forever and ever. Like I had contemplated everything between a residency, a full-time position, travel PT, a few PRM positions and from anywhere between, oh, I don't know, California and Texas. I mean, I literally had no idea, but having those words and those, that, that affirmation that said, you know, it's going to be okay, essentially, like the job market is there. It's just choosing and selecting exactly what you want to do. Like what, what speaks to your heart? What are you inspired by? What makes you excited you know, these are the types of questions I feel like you just need to ask yourself at graduation. It's a little bit overwhelming when, you know, adulting kind of hits all at the same time. But taking a step back and just realizing, you know, none of it is permanent. You can you can go from pediatrics to geriatrics to orthopedics if you want. Heck, you could do all three and do PRN and all of them if you want um, until you really figure out re what really speaks to your heart. Um, and I think that's, that's an important thing to keep in mind. I think many of us are very type A. We have like this very rigid plan <laughs> of like what we want to do. Like it's going to happen in this exact chronological order. But then you know what? I realized, toss that all out the window. Life never happens the way you plan. And if you just continue to, to do things that speak to your heart and surround yourself by the people that continue to inspire you and motivate you, then everything, you end up exactly where you need to be. So I couldn't agree with that more. Cause I feel yeah. like <laughs> I have all the expectations on me to like get a job or whatever I feel like, but I think those are expectations that are myself and not necessarily other people looking on me. So like kind of taking the pressure off yourself and just do what's making you happy at that moment. Mm -hmm. It can always change because, our careers have like this many different directions we can go. Yeah. And it's always kind of refreshing to hear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Like, I think what's really good about our profession is we have so much versatility. Like you were saying before, like we're, we're fortunate enough to come out of school with a career, like a set found, like foundation for a career. So if we have kind of, kind of a change of heart along the road, whether, you know, one we're coming from neuro, neuro PT, we want to go into more orthopedics or acute care. We have that ability to do so and make that mm -hmm. change rather smoothly you know so mm -hmm. I think that's what's really good about our profession we really have that smoothness and transitions if we so need it mm -hmm. yeah I couldn't agree with you more and you know there are other places for instance if you really have no idea what setting um, works for you really trying to seek out I think teaching hospitals some teaching hospitals will actually go through complete rotations in which they will go through through acute inpatient re inpatient rehab to ICU possibly then to outpatient out ortho or and or neuro or pediatrics they'll just run you through the gamut of the different settings um, until you really find one that's I think that 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 you absolutely love waking up to every day so that's there are options out there you just just don't get overwhelmed it's gonna be okay many of us have gone through the same path before you wouldn't be the first to think those think those thoughts after graduation so keep calm it's gonna be okay <laughs> absolutely absolutely so yeah we'll kind of bridge into our next question here i think that was a really really well answered question by you um so Nick wants to know, he wants to know, how do you achieve a work-life balance as a new grad or a young professional? <laughs> um, I'll be honest with that. I'm still trying to figure it out, honestly. Um, you know, I went to one of Sharon Dunn's talks, and I think that many of you can speak about this and know which direction I'm going in about this. So she talks about there are crystal balls and then there are rubber balls, right? And she, she alludes to the fact that there are things that you cannot drop when you're juggling. You know, for her, it's faith, God, family. And I can speak for the same thing for myself. You know, my family, my friends, God, those are the, the things that, that keep me April, you know, that keep me sane, that I will continue to juggle in the air. And the rest of it are rubber balls. No one's going to die if you don't respond to that one email. <laughs> Um, and I've kind of had to be to be okay with that. I think living in a world that's so 
um, that's so used to having instantaneous responses um, can at times um, make us feel a little bit overwhelmed and bombarded. But being able to just, I think, prioritize what's what's really important to you. And then from those rubber balls, prioritizing what tasks, you know, have to be done. Um, I always, I am such an advocate for finding stress management strategies, whatever that is for you. This alludes to both PT school and after PT school. Um, I think if you survive PT school, you've already figured out work-life balance, kind of, <laughs> because you came out alive. Um, so for me, uh, that's definitely, you know, being surrounded by my, my family and friends and making sure that the time I spend with them is very much quality, but then also exercising, um, being able to, to do whatever that is that you enjoy, whether it's hiking or just being outside and getting some fresh air. Um, just finding whatever stress management strategies will work for you, I think definitely helps with the, the work-life balance. So thank you, Nick, for that question. Still trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's true. I never thought about like, school-life balance kind of transitions into work-life balance. That's true. Right? Good piece of advice. Yeah. I mean, and as you get as you become a new grad, there's just more adulting that comes into play. And on top of bills, um, people start to transition into, you know, family life, you know, and then at the same time as they transition into their family life, they're also transitioning into progressing into their career, whether that's into management, owning their own clinic, or um, maybe a different aspect of therapy, trying to think of other entrepreneurial pursuits. People are pursuing um, different things at various times. So I think it's definitely helpful to find out what what your threshold is and knowing when you can when you have to walk away and be able to manage your stress because if you can't be at your best and we always tell this to our patients right and their caregivers if you can't take care of yourself you cannot help other people um and so making sure you know what those signs are i think are integral to your personal health for you to be the best version of yourself absolutely see alex has a good question. I think I've heard a lot of friends struggle with this. Um, when did you personally feel that you transitioned from a physical therapy student to a physical therapist? Um, I think it's when I realized that no one was going to co-sign my notes. Honestly, that was like the first thing. <laughs> I remember my first travel PT job. I was waiting for someone to first of all check my evals and my notes to make sure that I didn't make any mistakes and realize that that was it. Like I wasn't going to have anybody do it and I had to be accountable to myself. So I think that was like the first, I, yeah, definitely my first travel PT contract was kind of the first real realization and I have to say the second realization when I really felt um, empowered, I'd say, as, as a physical therapist would have to be one of, the, one of my patients um, when he was told that he would be able to do, he wasn't, he wasn't going to be able to walk. He had, so let me just kind of preface the story before I continue. Um, so he, I was, at, I was in an inpatient rehab and this young gentleman, he was in his about late 20s, early, mid, late 20s and suffered a spinal cord injury, non-traumatic. He was in the shower, and all of a sudden, his legs collapsed underneath him. Um, a physician had later told him that he would not be able to walk again. Um, and so, and on top of this, this young gentleman was also blind and had been blind since he was five. Wow. So he just felt wow. like the world was, world was against him. Um, and he didn't want to even go to inpatient rehab. He didn't want to participate in therapy. But luckily, his family had convinced him to go but it was still two hours away from where his family would be. Um, so you can imagine kind of like the emotional struggles and devastation that he was going through. Um, and I kind of had read his background and knew all of this. And when I f we had first met, he was very just solemn um, in our conversations, very quiet, um, didn't really participate as much, but agreeable. Um, until we, in inpatient rehab, as most of you know, you really get to spend a lot of time with your patients, about three hours total for therapy, you know, five, six days a week. I mean, you really just get to bond with your patients. And so over the course of time, we had really just developed this very um, intimate relationship of you know, being able to trust each other. Um, and I'll be quite honest, it, he was only the second patient I had worked with with spinal cord injury, and I was really outside of my comfort zone. And he was feeling really unsure. But 
after doing my own research and discussing with my mentors, um, you know, really found ways to progress him. And it started, honestly, with him. It was just like a wiggle of a toe. And all of a sudden, you know, he was starting to get the return. And celebrating those little moments with your patients is amazing, first of all. And I just say relish that moment. There's nothing more rewarding than just being able to celebrate with your patients. And if you're even more excited than them, then that's even better because there's sometimes they just get confused. But um, through that, through that, um, we gained we gained a relationship of trust, and he invited his family to walk. I mean, to 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 visit him one day on a Saturday, um, and that's when we finally were able to walk in front of him, and that was probably one of the most memorable one of the most memorable stories and patience just in, in my entire career, because that's when I really felt like a physical therapist. I had not only, not only taken or connected with him um, on a personal level, but had helped him reach one of his goals. You know, one of his goals was to be able to ambulate. I mean, it wasn't functional ambulation at that point, but to be able to stand on his own two feet, be able to show his family that he could, you know, negotiate steps, even with a walker. I mean, giving him that sort of, you know, ability to feel independent, even for that brief, brief few minutes, um, I was able to do that. And so that was probably a moment when I was like, wow, I, I am a physical therapist. I've learned stuff <laughs> and I can help and I can help people. Um, and I encourage those of you who go through that um, in your, as your, through your clinicals, I encourage you to continue to remember and to focus on those moments because there will be times that, you know, unfortunately, maybe your outcomes may not be as you desire. You've tried everything in the book. You've done your research. You've tried different strategies. Maybe it's just not going and progressing the way that you anticipate. But there are going to be days that are going to be absolutely incredible where you really feel like you have changed, that everything that you have worked so hard for, all the failures, all the tears, you know, it just came down to that moment. And you're like, wow, I am so glad I am where I am. I am where I am. Yeah, and that's you, why we're PTs. <laughs> you're, you're, you're totally right. You know, those moments are just the most rewarding to a physical therapist. And I think that's where you kind of make that transition from saying, wow, you know, I'm not a student anymore. Like I'm, I'm a clinician, you know, just, mm -hmm. just ha them being able to relish in that moment, you relishing in that moment. It's, it's something that they're going to remember forever. And you know, that they're, they're going to attribute it to, to you bringing them along the way on that trip. So it's, it's definitely something you always got to keep in the back of your mind when you're treating your patients. So totally. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the, um, the, if I get a patient who's incredibly anxious or nervous, one of the things that I tell them is I treat you the way that I would treat my family. And some people don't like their family, but lucky for you, <laughs> <laughs> I love my family. So, um, and it kind of brings them at ease knowing that, you know, someone sees them more than just a diagnosis, just an impairment. Someone mm -hmm. sees them as a whole yeah. person with feelings and experiences and takes that into consideration. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I have goosebumps still because I'm an inpatient rehab right now. And you have oh. those moments all the time. Right. So. Yes, I love them. Relish it, Jillian. Relish mm, them. Love it. <laughs> There's a lot, there's definitely a lot more to the individual than their diagnosis. There's a lot more that kind of goes on and there's a lot more that ticks, you know, in that mm -hmm. individual. And you need, you need to be able to find that and, and emphasize that in all of your treatment sessions so that they can have the most personalized care that is possible, you know. So I totally agree as well. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Love, love, love. Awesome. 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 So we have a question from Katie. So kind of just like switching gears just a little bit. So she says... Okay. What's your best advice for preparing for the boards as you're transitioning? Yeah, so I'll be honest. When I started the boards, I looked at that and I was like, oh, my gosh, where do I even start? I, I think I had all I had two or three prep books um, and I didn't even know where to start. So um, my best advice, actually, well, for, well, is knowing what works for you. <laughs> you have to everybody, as we know, it's not a cookie cutter approach like our treatment sessions, right? We've got to figure out what makes you work and how you best learn. So I'll tell you what I did for myself, and this is what I found worked for me. Um, because I was trying to balance being on my clinical, in the clinic, about 
eight to 10 hours a day and then studying about four to five hours afterwards. I mean, I was getting pretty burnt out, but um, I started, I, first of all, I was overwhelmed, but after I got over that, those feelings, <laughs> I <laughs> took my first practice test to just see what my strengths and my weaknesses were. Um, I also took a prep course before this, so it kind of gave me um, kind of a good, I think, overall introduction of where I felt like my strengths and my weaknesses were, but I wanted to continue with that and start taking my first my first practice test. Um, there are those who are on score builders camp, those on therapy ed. Um, I think that they're both very different. So just variety. I've t- I did both. Honestly, I did therapy ed because of its, uh, because it was incredibly detailed. And on top of that, I heard that people don't tend to score as high on therapy ed. So I thought I'd might as well get, I might as well go with the hardest one first and just figure it out. And then it would break down my score to figure out which which ones were my strengths, which ones my weaknesses, you know, or areas of improvements. Um, so that's where I kind of started. I made because I am type A. I made a spreadsheet <laughs> of every week that I studied, and I made various columns. I kid you not. I'll even share this with you guys if you want to see it. It's <laughs> I or screen. I think or screenshot it seriously, <laughs> so you guys can laugh and see how OCD I am. So I made every week. Of I put the date and then the weeks, um, and then the, each column was cardio, poem, orthopedics, neuro. Because believe it or not, that takes about seventy three percent of the exam. So make sure you know those big three. Then after that, you've got the other ones: um, your differential diagnoses. You've got your research. You know all the different categories. Um, so and then I had a separate category for just reviewing tests. I spent a majority time majority of my time really focusing on the test, quite frankly, and knowing which answers were right, but more importantly, knowing why I got the question right. Did it, was it just by purely guessing? Was it because it was, it was the best answer? Did I actually know enough why the other statements were wrong or less correct? Um, I think being able to dissect the answers and knowing why they're incorrect will actually help you, um, proceed forward for just test taking, right? If you're just, if you realize you're just guessing your correct guesser, that tells you maybe don't change your answer. Um, or it'll tell, give you some insight about information that you're really, you think that you have a hold on, but you really don't have a hold on. And that's the easiest, I think, way, um, at least for me, it was the easiest way to just figure out um, how to navigate through the NPTE. I think also getting um, the PEAT, I think, is incredibly helpful. It's the most indicative and true. It's previous, their previous um, NPTs that have been retired. So getting those, I think, are incredibly helpful as well to prepare you for the NPTE. But once it gets down, I'll tell you, if you actually get hold of my, my spreadsheet, you'll see that my I took, I think, eight or nine practice tests, and my scores kept going up and up and up. And there's a point where it just completely tanked to, like, where I started from. And then <laughs> – and I was like, oh, my gosh. And, of course, I just freaked out. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, what do I do? It's like I didn't even learn anything. Did I even go to PT school? Like, what happened? But I found out it was when I did further uh, reflection that I actually was just getting really burnt out. And so what I had done is I just literally stepped away from studying for an entire week. And, and that's what I needed. And I came back and took another test and my scores had followed the rest of the trend. Um, so I think more importantly, it's also really good to know yourself and know when you're burning out. Um, if you're just there just to clock in hours, not the best way to, pro- not the most productive way to study. Don't go by the number of hours you're spending per se, but really focus on the material, what you've retained and what areas you still need to improve upon. Um, so... A lot of reflection, I think, when you're studying. I think it's very solid advice because <laughs> all our teachers say is study. And so we're like, oh, God, so all we do is study, right? Um, I'm about to enter that world because I have six weeks between graduation and boards. Um, but I think it's important to also know, like, to not study 24-7. Because we've spent three years in school. So really, you should just be, like, getting the cobwebs out and making sure you know the big stuff. Yeah, remind yourself that, Jillian, when you're studying for boards. Like, we have this documented now. So when you're going through that, don't forget. It's, I think, really I'm gonna easy. Forget my own advice, probably. <laughs> Fine. I'm going to send it to you when you're studying. <laughs> okay. okay. We're going to you know, shift a little bit. Um, 
So Zoe asks, at what point in PT school did you start looking for jobs? And then a very similar question, and I'm sorry if I butcher your name, Hewlamit, um says, what are your recommendations uh, for job searches during your third year? They're kind of close together. So the first one was about when to start? Like, when did, did you start? And the other one's like, what recommendations do you have for starting in your third year? Both great questions. As I alluded to before, my, um, my path has actually been a little bit unorthodox. But in terms of when to start looking for jobs, I mean, I had, if you're talking about just regular full-time jobs, I had classmates who were looking pretty early on, I'd say, um, April, about, yeah, March, April, we're starting to look. I think before you even start looking for a job, though, most importantly, you need to figure out what you're looking for, right? What's Mm -hmm. most important to you? Is it location? Is it culture? Is it setting? Um, There, or is it benefits? Um, You know, there are just a variety of things that you need to look at. So I think before you even start looking, because it will be overwhelming, it will be quite daunting once you actually start your your job search. But if you have a clear sense of what you're looking for, it can kind of help narrow, narrow your search a little bit more, whether that's, you know, by location, setting, so forth and so on, or residencies for that matter. Um, So I say... You know, first, before you even start looking, make sure you pin those down, figure it out. Once you have a, a good hold of that, um, I say, you know, you start looking for a job, quite frankly. I know this is going to sound a little bit cliche, but the very first year you're in PT school, um, most people, if you look, actually start, they get their jobs by networking. Um, I'd say about like 80% of uh, companies are willing to go with either someone who has done a clinical there because they're familiar with the individual, their work, their work ethic, their personality, um, and how they fit with the culture. Um, and then, you know, others find it from attending things such as CSM or conferences, just not, not just APTA conferences, but just conferences in general and networking. You know, so you kind of start finding those people that you want to be like, I think, pretty early on and surround yourself with them. So if you're a PT student that's not in your not about to graduate, you know, keep looking for people that you want to be like because the, the hunt's already started, honestly. Um, OK, so in terms of recommendations and where to find them, I think I've alluded to this beforehand, you know, just your network. Um, I think that's a great place to start mm-hmm. or learning about the owner, how they started their clinic. Is it a small clinic? Is it a part of a larger corporation? Is that the kind of environment that you want to be in, you know, um, and trying to find out like the, the nitty gritty details also productivity, the expectations, orientation. When you graduate, some places will expect, you know, that you can just take on a full a full caseload. I mean, some people that that's great. They, they like that. Others, um, I think want a little bit more ramp up time, you know, they want a little bit, a few more weeks to just get acclimated to their environment. So kind of knowing what you're looking for will, I think, help determine which, which path you go and when I hope I answered that. Those are looking. Yeah, I would totally agree. I mean, I have some classmates that have interviews next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have classmates that we, like me, I don't know what I'm doing right after graduation. It's okay. Um, <laughs> it's totally okay. Um, and just kind of being okay with the gray area. But I couldn't agree more about the network. Because um, like April, I might do travel with PT. But if I do, I already know the recruiter I might work with because they went to conferences. But not even just national ones. Like going to your state conference, especially if you want to stay more local, that's where you're going to meet a lot more Um people in your area or going to district meetings or things like that, that don't take a ton of money or time. Um, just putting yourself out there on those little teeny things can make a huge difference in your network. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you're a student and you see that there's a clinic that you absolutely want to work in, ask them, call up the owner, ask, ask if you can just shadow them, you know, just put yourself out there, you know, try to find inventive ways to really get your name out there. Some people have even gotten their jobs, I think, from from social media, you know, creating a brand for themselves and putting them name, their name out there. 
uh, and created a position for themselves that maybe didn't even exist beforehand, you know? So there are the possibilities are really endless. You, you, it really just starts with you. And I mean, I don't think we need to do enough of this. I think when we're in PT school talking about um, branding um, and marketing of yourself, honestly, we don't, we don't do enough of that. Um, and it's not self-righteous. I think, I think it's actually smart. Not only do we do it, we have to do it for, we don't do it for ourselves, but we do it have for our patients. You know, the more that they know about what we're, how we're able to help them and meet them where they are, the better or the more we're able to help. So, you know, yeah. I think, I think starting your network early is definitely a, a very wise piece of advice, especially if you're not totally sure about what you want to do as a physical therapist, kind of what realm you want to go into kind of just like you said, self-marketing and putting yourself out there, it's, it's going to open up many doors for you um, that you probably wouldn't have been open before if you weren't doing things like that. So I think that's a really, you know, great piece of advice for new grads that just try to, you know, step out of their mm-hmm. comfort zone, put them, you know, try to put themselves out there and see how many, you know, individuals, how many clinicians, you know, professors that they can network with. And you never know where the wind will take you. You know, that's what they always say. So I think that's a really good piece of advice for new grads. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, Nick O'Hanlon. So, hey, Nick, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Um, he, he says, being mostly a travel PT early on in your career, um, did you have trouble looking for early career mentorship? Um, I'll say no, honestly. But I think um, I had really set myself up as a student to be really confident in my army of mentors. And when I'm talking about like an army, I've got like a mentor for everything. I've got mentors for life. I've got mentors for, you know, um, for travel PT because I wasn't really sure what was okay, what was the standard. Um, I have mentors for the clinic. I, who, um, my first site where I worked at, I was actually the only PT as my first one. I know pretty ballsy as my first, my first PT job. Right. But I knew that I had phenomenal mentors on call whenever I needed them. And, you know, mentors don't only have to be physical therapists. I think we should also look to our other therapists, friends. Um, some of the best mentors that I've had have been outside of our profession as well. And I have to say this, not only other therapists, but even our patients, our patients become our best mentors to tell us our areas of improvement, you know, quite frankly. So I see, I see an oppor- my, every interaction as an opportunity to learn something from someone. So no, I wasn't scared to travel um, as a PT because I took every opportunity as an opportunity to learn. And I had mentors on call, which I called them several times for P- for some of my evaluations. I was like, I have a patient who's coming in tomorrow who's morbidly obese with Parkinson's disease, who has Charcot foot, is non-weight bearing on one side, and, oh, had ankle fusion <laughs> surgery. What do I do? This is what I'm thinking. Is this too little? <laughs> is this too much? You know, just making sure that even that my clinical reasoning was just right in the right light. I still remember that when I made that phone call because I was like, ooh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> but I think that when you're a student, that's exactly what you need to do. Call Call and make make your network known, um, and ask them. You know, you know the the question. Ask them the difficult questions, and don't be afraid to talk about your clinical reasoning out with them, and have them poke and prod and see. You know where maybe the maybe the holes are or the areas of improvement are. Um, there's no better advice than to get it from somebody who's kind of been through the ringer, you know, themselves. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just retweet all those things <laughs> retweet all of them yeah. I'm going to keep on going so we have a ton of questions coming in which is yeah, just amazing. so keep them coming in and we're just going to start kind of going a little bit quicker so we make okay, sure we sorry. all of your guys questions I'll try so to be good. less verbose so let's go <laughs> okay. I love all of your advice it's great um, Ariana uh, Adler asks, what is the best way to keep in touch with your past CIs and clinics? Oh, um, I've, funny enough, I've actually been able to do so with social media. Not necessarily when I was on my clinical, per se. Um, I would say I had their contact information, so their email address and their phone number for sure, but I didn't, 
add them actually on social media till after I was done with my um, with my clinicals. Um, which also kind of brings up the point, make sure that your social media is professional friendly. I have to give that P PSA for people, um, that public service announcement, you know, the person you were in college, I hope is not the same that comes out of PT school. Um, I hope there's been a lot of growth and development at that point, but knowing that as you continue to pave your way through your career, that you will continue to have professional contacts. And many of those are actually looking at your social media profiles, um, to, to really get an inside look and who you are as an individual. Um, so just making sure that reflects who you are appropriately and accurately, I think is also really important. So I've kept in touch with my CIs, um, with social media and even so funny, I just had one yesterday who Facebook messaged me asking me about, um, if she could put her into contact with me asking about medical mission trips. Uh, so I thought it was really funny, but yeah, social media does wonders in that sense. So yeah. Awesome, love it. So yeah, we'll just we'll just keep them coming because we get so we get so many questions uh, that we have to get through. So Jennifer says, as a first year PT student, is there anything mm -hmm. that new grads um, wish that they did to better set themselves up for graduation? Yeah, um, I think learning. I have to say first and foremost is knowing first and foremost, how you learn information. I think that especially if you've gone from the transition from undergrad straight to graduate school that, you know, when you are in undergraduate, you have this strategy of just purging information after you learn it. Quite frankly, that doesn't work in graduate school. And I hope you've already learned that, you know, all the information that you learn at one point will all build up on each other. So if you struggled with anatomy, it's not going to help you very much with kinesiology. And then once you break down to like orthopedics and neuro, you're just going to be even more lost. So making sure that you really have a firm grasp of the material that you're learning. It may not seem like it is completely clinical, clinically relevant, but they all build up on each other. So making sure that you, knowing where your, your holes in learning are. And one of the best uh, ways I've learned is if I don't know that information, a real true test is if you are able to teach someone that information, that means you've got a solid hold on it. If you are not able to teach somebody and the words that are coming out of your mouth aren't the same that are coming on that piece of paper, then mm, maybe we have to backtrack and kind of relearn the information again. You know, uh, that's the one way the real true test I had when I was in PT school. If I couldn't teach it to someone <laughs> else, that means I had no idea what I was talking about. And I was just talking out of who knows what. <laughs> so learn, I say, your first year. Our professors and, say the exact same thing. They really yeah. do. And you need to be able to teach you know, your classmates the information. And if you're able to do that, then you have a good grasp on it. You know, So totally agree there, definitely. I mean, and we do that every day in the clinic, honestly. As clinicians, you'll see, I mean, a lot of our job is education who we are as a profession, what we're doing, buying into our plan of care, why we're doing what we're doing. Because if you want them to do some certain things, they will more likely do it if they understand why. So it's a great skill to start learning when you're learning how to learn in your first year because it'll just carry you through three years or two years of your PTA until you're a practicing clinician. So. Awesome. Yeah, I feel like in first year, you're just like a deer in headlights. And you're like, oh, my God, how am I going to survive the next year? Because <laughs> you're trying to survive anatomy. And then you survive anatomy and something else. And you get to ortho and neuro. And you kind of want to poop yourself every day. But you find a way to, to make it happen. Um, so I, I think something important is find something you're passionate about about PT. Because um, if you're just studying to study, you might lose your passion. You're like, why am I even in school? So find something that keeps your fire burning for those three years. Because it's long. It's a long three years. Um, yeah, find your why and like put it on something. I think I said that in past chats, but you got to find it. Um, to add to add on to that, I think when if you are observing, if you're maybe if, for those of you who are listening who may be a pre PT, I don't know if there are any of you out there, but like when you're observing and there's that one patient that you're like, wow, oh my gosh, like I can't believe that the PT who was working with this patient was able to do that. Like that's what I want to do. That's who I want to become. Like writing that moment in your own words and when you're going through neuro, for instance, and you're like, why am I learning all of this? And you can recall that one story about that one patient who was able to walk 
who was not able to walk before. I think personalizing the story with the information, we sometimes get lost in all of the details of what we're learning and forget why we learn. Don't forget the information that you're learning now is going to be relevant to help someone's to help some improve someone's quality of life later. You know, so I totally agree. And to kind of follow up for that, Jake says, in your opinion, where are the most what or I can't even read. Where is the most common area <laughs> that new grads and new professionals fall short? Um, I kind of mentioned this um, a little bit beforehand, but we don't do enough of, I think, branding and marketing and advocating for ourselves as a, as a profession. Um, we, I think, are good about communicating with others, but I think we really need to branch out in even edu- the education I've had to um, do with my patients about the level of education that we've had to become physical therapists, that there are no longer bachelor's degrees. I have even had a patient ask me if I graduated from high school. <laughs> and I had to kind of back, <laughs> I had a backtrack. I was like, I know I look young, but let me tell you about physical therapy education here in the States, <laughs> right? Um, so just educating our patients about that. And, you know, it's always been well-received, you know, when they learn the amount of information or the amount of education that we've had um, to do what we do. They're quite frankly impressed, and I feel like that oftentimes even gives them a little bit more trust and buy-in into your, into your plan of care. So, advocating for us for yourself, um, your personal brand, and for our profession, not only inside our profession, but I think outside of it as well, is what we need to work on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, I, one of our professors actually used this quote. Um, she says, not just working in your profession, but working at your profession as well. Mm. So again, not just being, that. you know, isn't it, isn't it pretty, I, I love it. So I, I really kind of coined that. I kind of stole it from her a little bit. Sorry, Professor Bowers, but um, <laughs> you know, it, it really is. So just kind of working at your profession, really trying to make a change out of your profession, always promoting positive change is super important, you know, for, especially for our patients in the future, you know, so that's something that's, we always need to keep in the back of our heads. Oh, absolutely. Whole hundred percent agree. I love that. Thank you, Professor Bowers. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I got it. So Gabriella, she says, uh, this is actually a really good question. Very popular. Uh, If anyone has student loans from either their undergraduate or from their DPT program or both, do you have any tips um, on paying those off or organizations that will help new grads pay them off? Yeah, um, there. So student loans, I think, becomes definitely a, a, a hot topic, and I think becomes the sometimes the unfortunately the driving force of new grads when they make their decisions for where where they choose to work. Um, in terms of tips, knowing first of all what kind of loan you have, whether it's private or public, and having really a firm grasp of the different payment options and the um, the consequences are not actually consequences or ramifications of like of each of those payment options. Um, you know, I've heard there are different ways that you can go about paying it. Whether it's um, an income-based repayment plan, ten a ten-year plan. There are those that I'm that actually work for a nonprofit um, where there's a special payment plan in order for you to work for a nonprofit, you're able to have the rest of the remaining loan forgiven afterwards. So there's, oh my gosh, I'm blanking out on the top my, the name right now, but there is a PT who is absolutely 100% well-versed in finances. I think Jillian, you know, you look like you're going to tell me off the top of your tongue. To oh no, smiling oh. all the time. Oh my gosh. I am. Um, <laughs> Yes, and I mean I can provide that resource after I get off um, the Facebook Live on um, what his information with with his information. But within the PT community, he's um, definitely given great financial and sound advice financially on on how to pay those loans. In terms of payment wise, I mean you know there's always there are always different jobs that you can take on. PRN jobs tend to take a lot. You get paid a lot more. There are different settings that pay more than others. So you can have the option of working maybe four tens and taking your fifth or sixth day to work PRN somewhere else. There are definitely options that you can go ahead and do so. 
Or maybe you can do something like um, Movement X. So I have friends who started an org- a company called Movement X. So basically pairing up patients and, cl- patients and clinicians wherever they are to provide physical therapy services transparently, essentially, wherever they are. So you can do something like that. There are just different options. If you're just talking about really making money, there are different options for payment plans. I think first and foremost, you need to make sure that you check your provider, whether it's a private or public loan, and see what the different options are because they are different between between those two. Well, perfect, because um, I sometimes I just feel real stupid about all the financial side. Mm-hmm. And I think it's glitter and rainbows until I just checked my student loans, you know, mm-hmm. yesterday. <clears throat> but I'll, <laughs> I'll figure it out, right? We all do. Um, you wouldn't be the first person to go through student loans. There are many of us who have gone through it and we've survived. So you'll be okay. <laughs> feel better. But kind of on that subject, Kaylee wants to know, do you have any advice for negotiating salary as a new grad? Yeah. So nego- negotiation is actually kind of my favorite. <laughs> um, so let me kind of backtrack. You need to, I think, figure out kind of what the needs are of the company that you're working at. Um, and there are different ways that you can negotiate or leverage. I, I will have to speak from personal experience. I've had to negotiate various contracts um, as a travel PT. My first one, actually, I, w- I was able to increase about $100 a week um, with zero experience. And that was because I knew exactly what the needs were of the facility. So knowing what the needs are of the facility, knowing that you could provide those needs, um, and knowing what your competition is. I mean, I knew at that point nobody else was in the running <laughs> and they needed somebody to fill in the slot. So when you kind of are in the position to, you realize that, you know, you have a lot more leveraging power to do so. Um, but, you know, negotiating negotiations and leveraging actually has to do with doing a lot of your research. So knowing what the needs are of the company. Some companies, if you want, if you're looking for just more money, um, are looking for people to work on the weekends. So being able to provide maybe that service in turn for um, an increased salary would be something that would be a benefit to them and you get your increased salary, right? So for whatever you're negotiating for, I think it's always really important to know what you're willing to offer in return or what you can do. Or maybe you're trying to um, negotiate with a smaller company. They have... They need more help, I think, in maybe the social media, public marketing. You have those skills to acquire, I mean, to, to share with the, the with the organization. Say, hey, I can help you also with this. This is what I can do. This is what I can offer. Um, and this is how I can benefit your organization or your company. This is what I can bring to the table. You know, so I think it's really important to know what you can offer and what, what you can bring to the table um, after you've done your research about the organization and what they need. So first and foremost, know what the organization needs and know how you can leverage the skills that you have to meet those demands and then negotiate everything else, whether it's increased continuing education money, whether it's more PTO, um, more um, flexibility in your hours. You know, there are different things that you can leverage. I think when people think about negotiations, they wrote, they strictly think about money, but sometimes there are other things that are of more value. PTO, con ed, um, conferences, you know, there are other things that you can, you can negotiate well. So try not to think of it as being so linear. Think of it as a reciprocal relationship, something it's a give and take. What can you offer in return? I like that. I like that a lot. You got to make yourself wanted really to get that job, first of all. If you're like, if they really want you, they'll, they'll up your pay a little bit to get you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. You, really gotta demonstrate, yeah, you gotta demonstrate your value, you know, for the, for the new setting that you go in. If, if you're looking to negotiate, they need to, they need to be mindful that you have more value that you can give to them. So I think we also have to be mindful of that. Like you were saying for, for negotiating increased salary, increased benefits kind of goes along those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So Megan Schaefer, she says, um, from changing from a student physical therapist to official doctor physical therapy, is there any skill set that you wish you developed more through school to help ease that transition into a post-grad life? Yeah, I think confidence, you know, honestly. I personally haven't actually been a CI student. I've had students who... Um, like maybe their CI went on vacation for a little bit, so they had followed me or shadowed 
me um, for a little bit, and I've watched them too. One of the things that I realized, and I probably as a student did the same thing, but just being confident, I think, in the information that you do know. At the end of the day, I think it's are you providing a safe are you going to kill the patient? No. <laughs> is it safe? You know, I mean, the NPT does this too, you know, making sure whatever interventions you choose are safely selected, no red flags. Um, and are you progressing the patient appropriately? And if, and if you're trying to progress them too much, do you know how to also regress your interventions? You know, doing, being able to do both and having the confidence to do so. And, you know, quite frankly, I think that just has to do with more experience. The more patients you interact with, the more comfortable you you are with these decisions. Um, so just, but just being confident in the information that you know, because you know the information, it's in there. You just got to apply it in the clinic, you know. So build up that confidence. Yeah, building that confidence is really hard. <laughs> but once- it is. Faking it till you make it sometimes is, I think, the best um, <laughs> method. But we are probably have time for like one or two more questions. We have about nine minutes left in our chat. Um, so while you guys are thinking about it, maybe down in the comments or on Twitter, just say like from today's chat, navigating post grad life, I learned blank. Or you took what? What have you taken away from our chat today? Uh, we'd love to hear back from you. Um, but for our next question. Melissa would like to know, are you considering a specialization and what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, absolutely. I have been thinking about a specialization actually, and that specialization would be neuro, as some of you may have guessed. Um, I just haven't found the appropriate time to, first of all, um, go through the application process. I don't know if you've some of you have gone through that process, but there's an actual process that you need to go through and making sure that you've got all the number of hours. Um, and I kind of also wanted to get a little bit more, um, I guess, experience in my belt with neuro in various settings more so. Um, and I think I'll continue to do that with PRN work. And my thoughts on specializations, I think that they're absolutely fantastic. I, I love them because I think it, it challenges us. You know, most of us, I think when we're in school, we strive for the grades. And once we get them, we're just like, okay we're done. And the thing is, once you, once you graduate, no one tells you how to practice. No one's going to be hovering over your shoulder and watching every intervention that you do. You really have to be, I think, self-motivated, self-driven. And some people I think really do well with, you know, something that's a little bit more regimented, maybe, um, like, maybe like a residency or some people, you know, want something to strive for that, that next thing whether that's a specialization, um, a fellowship, you know, management position, but having that goal. I think we t- all tend to do better when we have that, that, that thing that we're, we're striving for, that we're looking for. So whether it's a specialization, I encourage everyone to have a goal of some sort, in their, both personally and professionally, of where you want to be and where you want to go, whether that's a specialization or just more knowledge in this particular area, I think go for it. Absolutely. Our profession is going to be better because of it. Yeah, pretty much. I agree <laughs> with that. Uh, but I'm also a neuro nerd, so I'm a little biased. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So, do you th- Jill, do you think we have time for one more question, or do you think I we think, do a couple more? I think so. Maybe one more question, and then we can do some ending announcements. Awesome. So I actually like this question a lot. Um, It's from Mm -hmm. John Davis. So he says, of all the issues discussed today, it's kind of a very open-ended question. He says, what do you think is the most important issue that was discussed for the physical therapy profession as a whole? Um, I think there are are a lot of ways you can go with with that question so it's very open-ended um one direction i think i will go as i kind of i think have mentioned before is advocating for our profession i don't think i can speak enough for us um as individuals coming together to spread the knowledge that we have um and the things that we're able to do i mean i don't know if some other people have had this same experience but even within my own family at times if they have some like pains Oh my gosh, cousins or aunts will say, Oh, I finally go go see 
this type of clinician. And I'm like, wait, don't you know I'm a physical therapist? Why don't you come and see, see a physical therapist first? I was like, I may not be the best person to work with you per se, but I mean, this is what we're able to do. And then taking that moment in time to educate them about direct access in our in your particular state and the the skill set the the training that we've had um if our own family and friends don't know about it then how do we expect the general public to know about it you know so spending that time i think um to educate the people around us our network about what we're able to do i think outside of the pt profession is really really important um, and one on another topic that kind of came into mind, I think within the profession that we don't talk about is actually just burnout. Um, I feel like I've had in my three years, I have I've even had classmates as early as six months who got burnt out. And that is incredibly sad to see somebody work so hard to work for something and get burnt out from it in their six months. And what I have to say about that topic is um, just continuing to surround yourself with people who you aspire to be like, um, whether that's, you know, a specific specialization, neuro, orthopedes, geriatrics, um, acute, whatever, or if it's um, something kind of related like global health, you know, people who continue to inspire you to do what you love, I think is what is going to continue to be the driving force of of our profession and if our profession isn't isn't better isn't better if we have a bunch of burnt out physical therapists um i think and just knowing what different i think avenues or options people think i think oftentimes that or pigeonholed into just being clinicians and you know there's so many instances of people who have thought outside of the box of be, of just being clinicians. Um, there are so many examples I can just like think off off the top of my head, whether it's starting a nonprofit organization with a Joshua Fos, starting their company, or people like Ben Fung who have become CC, COO of like um, Karen Litzy. She started her own like home health PT. She has another podcast. You know, there are just so many different people who have taken their skills and their knowledge and then utilized them to educate the PT profession and the general public about what we do. I think if we can even utilize our past experiences that we have and um, play that into become better overall. I think, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with all of that. And April, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We've really appreciated all of your wisdom here. Um, do you mind sharing some of your contact information so students might be able to reach out to you after this chat? Yeah, not at all. I'll go ahead and do that. Um, how do? How would you like me to do that? You can either just... say it out loud or you can just put it in the comments or both. Okay, I can do both. Um, so you can go ahead and either tweet me at April Fajardo PT <laughs> or you can email me at April.Fajardo, F as in Frank, A-J-A-R-D-O at gmail.com. And I'll go ahead and type that in the comments, too. And I have to say, it has been such a pleasure uh, talking with both of you. And Kyle, welcome to the DOC position. Oh, you are doing God. a fantastic job, you know, so just yeah. so natural in this, in this position. So thank you both for having me. Yes, I couldn't agree more. So I'm going to transition out and log off as last time as my DOC self. Oh. I'm going to let Kyle end the announcement. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much, April, for, for coming on and, and doing the exchange. I did a really good job and I, the audience definitely gathered some very useful information as they transition from a student into, into a new clinician. So that was really awesome. But well, yeah, thank just you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, so yeah, just for, just some ending announcements, just some uh, miscellaneous information. So CSM, Combined Sections Meeting, we'll, we'll get excited, January 23rd, January 26th. Um, we hope to see you all there. We'll be having a general membership meeting there. Um, and we'll have a Sabad booth in the, in the exhibit hall. So come visit us if you can. Um, and also, what does Sabad stand for? Oh, the Student Assembly Board of Directors. I'm sorry, I got to get my lingo down just a little bit better. But yeah, <laughs> Sabad Student Assembly Board of Directors. There you go. Um, and also be on the lookout for. Uh, yes, also be on the lookout for conference connections. Okay. I uh, will just continue some feedback a little bit. 
but yeah, just be on the lookout for conference connections. Um, we'll, the NOMCOM will hook you up. We'll put you into groups with other students across the country. Um, so that sign ups on the Twitter page. If you go to the Twitter page, you can definitely sign up on there. And also be on the lookout for social media and polls, posts um, with the newly elected Student Assembly Board um, where we're at our orientation from December 8th, December 8th and 9th. And also about the polls, just a little note about the Pulse blog. Um, we're always looking for contributors. So if you need more information or you're willing to submit a Pulse blog, um, you can email us. It's uh, Pulse, so P-U-L-C-E, uh, S-E, excuse me, at APTA.org. So we'd be happy um, to read over your Pulse blogs and answer any questions that you may have. That's all we got. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Um, hope you had a great time. And really thank April for coming on and Jill for logging on, logging off as her last time as the director of communications. Okay. We'll see you later. We'll see you later. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Have a good night. Have a good night. Mm -hmm.